God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. We're in a series entitled Fight for the House. We're walking through the book of Jude. It's not a big book, 25 verses, 613 uh, words all together, but man, it packs a powerful punch. Um, and as we have seen in Jude's opening salutation, he challenges us to fight for the faith, to contend for the faith. It's an athletic term. It involves exercising the muscles in a disciplined way that we stay alert and we're able to finish the fight. And he goes on and he says, the reason why we're to fight for our faith, because that really needs to be a question. Why, why is it such a big deal to Jude? And he says, it's because false teachers have wormed their way into the local church and believers don't even know it. Don't even know it. And then he launches into this this midrash, it's a Hebrew way of, of talking about Old Testament text and bringing them into some relevant application for today. And from verses 5 through 11, he gives this grave warning to the local believers of these false teachers, comparing them to stories and people in the Old Testament. We, see, we saw from last week this progression of rebellion. And now here we are, man, we're in our third week. And you know, Jude is still talking about these false teachers, it's a big deal to him. And I know some of us come to church and we're thinking, yeah, okay, what's, what's, what's the big deal about all this? And it's easy to kind of see, well, that was Jude and that was the ancient times. But Jude so loved the local church that he wanted to raise their awareness. And I believe there's some application for us today. So if you have your Bibles, come on, grab them, go with me to Jude. I, I like how Pastor Terry instructs people to get to Jude. He says, go all the way to the book of Revelations, which is the last book in the New Testament, and turn left. <laughs> and there it is. So look at this, verse 12. When these people eat, these people, he's talking about the false teachers. When these people eat with you in your fellowship mills, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reeves that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in the autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. Verse 13, they are, they are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Okay, anybody screaming yet? Kind of, man, laying it on thick here. Verse 14, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done for all the insults that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, just in case we haven't caught it yet, what these people are kind of like. He says, these people are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their own desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. Well, as you notice right from the beginning, Jude addresses these fellowship mills. They were actually called, and you can find this when you look at a word-for-word -word translation like the ESV, you'll see it actually call it this. They called it a love feast. 
This was one of the ways they had church together every week. Matter of fact, it was the best meal of the week for many people. They would gather together, kind of like a group potluck, and they would have food, and then they would follow the food with communion, and then they would read scripture, and then someone would teach on the scripture. If they had a guest teacher, he might, he might at that point share. Uh, they would pray, they would worship, and they called it a love feast. And Judas commending the love feast while calling out the false teachers who are using it for their own purposes. Now, hopefully you caught it. Jude's passionate about this. He loves the local church and he doesn't want anyone who calls himself a Christ follower being deceived. So he, he starts unpacking six metaphors. You know, Jude loves using this, this rhythm of three. Well, here he multiplies that rhythm of three, six. He gives six metaphors. And I want us as a church just to briefly look at them. Uh, they, they'll help us understand how we can grow in discernment to know who is representing Christ, but not in Christ. So let's look at it. First, first metaphor is hidden reefs. The ESV says these are hidden reefs. Reefs cloaked by the waves can do horrible damage to a ship. In like manner, here's what Jude's saying to us. These teachers' teachings can do irre- irreversible harm to the soul. But it doesn't stop with hidden reefs. He talks about shameless shepherds. That's, that's our metaphor number two. Shameless shepherds. These individuals who call themselves spiritual leaders, they have the right lingo, but their motivation is twisted. It's corrupt. They're only about feeding and protecting themselves. But he doesn't stop there. We have waterless clouds that are swept along by the winds, Jude tells us. Off the shores of Palestine in the promised land, Huge, thunderous clouds would gather many times in from the sea and they would come rolling in, promising rain, only to just be swept by and never leave a drop of precipitation. So too, these false teachers, they promise much, but they deliver so little. I found it interesting how Jude really makes us clear that these, these false teachers, these, these thunderous clouds that look so promising with rain, how they are driven by the wind. They are swept along by the wind. What struck me as I prepared for the message this weekend and felt like prompted of the Holy Spirit to share with you is that we have believers that have allowed ungodly people from politics and talk shows and Hollywood to instruct our spiritual lives. We don't even have a firsthand relationship with some people that we are welcoming into our homes and they are constructing our very theology. False teachers. Jude says, no, you've got to see them for who they are and what their teachings are about. They're hidden reefs, they're shameless shepherds, they're empty clouds. And then he goes on. If you're not already kind of like squirming, he says, and they're fruitless trees. Number four, fourth metaphor. Because man, when it comes harvest time, there's no fruit. But the reason why there's no fruit is they're doubly dead. They're uprooted. But Jude doesn't stop there. He goes on with the fifth metaphor. He says they're they're wild waves. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own what? Come on, you can talk in church. Shame. (laughs) Shame. And then Jude closes this gloomy forecast. this, This gloom before he talks about their doom. He says they're wandering stars. Wandering stars to whom the gloom of utter darkness had been reserved, get this, 
forever. Heavy stuff. See, Jude isn't pulling any punches, right? He's fighting for the house. He loves the local church and he wants his readers to know that that they can't, they can't play around with the voices they're allowing into their homes, that they're allowing into their cultivation of their own spiritual souls, their lives. So he doesn't just stop with the gloom. He then wants to let his readers know the impending doom. He quotes from an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic text that was well read by the readers of Jude's day. Early church fathers weren't afraid to use other writings that were relevant at the time to drive home a point. Jude is not saying that this text taken from the book of Enoch was all inspired, but he believed this prophecy was accurate. And so he shares it with his readers who already were aware of it, bringing it into this timely context of false teachers. Let's read it again. Verse 14. This time we'll read it from the word for word translation, the ESV. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness. That their deeds, all of their deeds of what? Ungodliness. That they have committed to such an ungodly way. Say ungodly. And of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, how many of you have ever heard the quote, show me the money. What's the movie? See? Jerry Maguire story. Yes. Show me the money. He keeps telling Jerry, say, say it after me, Jerry. Show me the money. No, say it with some passion, Jerry. Show me the money. No, we hear yell at Jerry. Show me the money. See, Jerry Maguire is a agent for a very talented football professional player. And this professional football player feels like he hasn't been getting what's due to him. And he, he's, he's coming to the end of his career and he could get injured and he wants to make sure he gets what he's worth. Show me the money. Well, what we can take away here is that Jude is not saying show me the money, but you can be sure after what, everything we've just read, the metaphors, the doom. I'll tell you what Jude is saying. He's saying, show me the fruit. Show me the fruit. Show me the fruit of those who lead you. Look in the mirror, look in your own life and shout to your soul, show me the fruits. You know what, I, I never want you to not learn to look for the fruit. Kind of leads into this, the next two takeaways I want to give you that you leave this place with. One, one word is investigate, the other word is evaluate. So here's the first takeaway, investigate your leaders. You don't need to hire a private eye, that's not what Jude's talking about. It shouldn't be that difficult. Jesus says, you just got to look to their ministries and their lives. And is there fruit from their lives? Listen to Jesus's words found in Matthew's gospel, chapter seven. He says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their, are grapes gathered for thorn bushes and or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree, excuse me, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, 
One reason why maybe you don't hear a lot of pastors talking about Jude and preaching this passage is we live in a cancel culture. And it's so easy for people to immediately be suspicious and, and rather than assume the best, they assume the worst. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking even about um, my, you know, having different opinions or my preferences bothering you or whether or not I step on toes on the weekend. I'm talking about you should be able to look at my life and see a little bit of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Not just me. Anyone who calls himself a spiritual leader. Anyone in your life who you look to for spiritual guidance and direction. Listen, we as leaders, we will always fall short because we're mere men and women. But there ought to be something intangible and tangible about our lives that tell you, man, that we are a little more like Jesus than the average Joe or Julie. We, it just should be. There should be evidence from our lives. Jesus is saying in that passage, your spiritual lives Man, their life alone is evidence. So here's some questions I'm going to roll off to you. And I, these are questions that, that I even ask regarding the leaders I follow because I'm under authority. So let me just roll off some of the questions. If you have time, you can write some of these down. But you need to ask these questions for those who you follow. What is their ministry track record? What are, what are, they, able, uh, are they able to be at one place for a considerable time and bear fruit? Or are they just hopping around? That, that always raises concerns for me. Are traces of grace evident in their personal life? Do they walk the talk? Does he or she lead in the home? Have people come to Christ through their ministry? Do they have disciples? How well did they lead the organizations they have led in the past? How have they handled money? Are they doing what they've asked others to do? Are they generous? Those are legitimate questions. If you're going to a church and your pastor is saying tithe and give above 10% and they aren't doing it, you don't need to be at that church. That's like, that's like Ichabod. That's, that, that, that means they're teaching, but they're not living what they're saying. They don't have to be perfect, but man, if they're going to give some bold challenges to you, you've got to know they're willing to try to get in the trenches and do what they're asking you to do. Can someone say amen? I'm grateful that this is not something that I have brought to this church. 14 years ago, when this church was looking for a new lead pastor, these are some of the questions that they wanted answered. The search committee and the executive leaders, these are some of the questions they had. I'm grateful for church leadership that's willing to ask tough questions. I'm grateful that we have executive leaders at our church, on our church board, who are lay people from amongst you, peers of yourselves, who I meet with every other month who care about character. Church, character still matters. It matters. And it's not just about the fruit of their ministry, but the character that God is forging in your leaders. We need to be men and women of character. I, years ago, I had, a, more, I had a, a, a mentor who had a moral failure. And man, it rocked my world. And, and we're seeing it even today. It still happens. It happens. And listen, just because they, the news highlights larger churches, it happens in smaller churches too. Why? Because pastors are mere men and women. But I remember when that moral failure took place, it rocked my world. And I started praying a prayer that I pray to this day. And I think it's, it's helped me 
But I think it's also protected the organizations I've served in. And this was my prayer, Lord. And I believe God answers prayer. This is what I pray. Lord, please never allow my ministry to outgrow my character. I want to be way bigger underneath what no one sees than I am what everybody sees. Here at Christ's place, we have a motto that if you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. Because character matters. Serving should be a priority. Spiritual leaders that don't serve are really not good leaders. The Apostle Paul referred to this character development as fruit of the Spirit. I love how he kind of sums it up in Galatians when talking to the church in Galatia. Chapter 5, verse 22, it reads like this. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces, he forges in us this kind of fruit of our, in our lives. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Man, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love this last sentence. There is no law against these things. You know what keeps me hungry and humble is knowing that God's not done doing this in me. That I know I have blind spots. That I I know I need to keep growing. See, Jude is a beautiful example of a man who is an authority, but also under authority. And that is so crucial because there's safety in that. And I want you to know Because as the lead pastor, and this is true for our pastors, we have accountability. There is no one of us that isn't under authority. There is a safety in structured accountability. Just for the record, I want you all to know this. I'm I'm under the authority of the Nebraska Ministry Network. They hold my ministry credentials, and more importantly, they hold me spiritually, theologically, and morally accountable. Beyond that, I have another authority group that I answer to. It's the lay leaders of our church that are called executive leaders, who I meet with every other month. They hold me spiritually and morally and relationally accountable. I'm so grateful for executive leaders who are voted on by partners who are members who have spent a year in discipleship to become partners of this church, that are invested in the mission of the church, that are fighting for the house. And it doesn't stop there. I'm grateful to have a spouse. <laughs> My wife, Wendy Lormer, who has honest conversations with me and sometimes will bring up tough talks. Hey, she may be meek, but she ain't weak. <laughs> I believe in being under authority, having accountability. Here's the point. No church leader is so godly that they don't need to be under authority and held accountable. And this is why I have concerns for independent churches and home churches and self-proclaimed prophets who don't have anyone to answer to other than themselves. Who's asking them the tough questions? So I mentioned two takeaways. The first one I spent a little bit more time on, it's, it's investigate your leaders. That's me. That's me. If you don't know me personally, talk to people who know me. You can talk to family members. I'm not a perfect, I haven't been a perfect father, I haven't been a perfect husband, I haven't had a perfect life but there's nothing that shouldn't be able to be scrutinized in my life. Matter of fact, as I talk to you about this next takeaway, it only makes sense that this, this other one becomes a huge priority to you. 
Turn the investigation, not just on your leaders, turn it inward and evaluate your own life. Think how hypocritical it would be to expect one thing of leaders and for you to not be inclined to even hold yourself to similar standards. Come on. Do you know we're all going to stand before God? I'd rather be scrutinized by you before I am God. And we should all feel the same way. Evaluate your own life. Ask yourself tough questions. Like, what if you just were serious? Look in the mirror. Spend five minutes. What is the fruit that's being harvested from my life right now? And be brutally honest with yourself. Some of us in this room, we're living more for today than we are eternity, more for our own desires than we are God's glory. And you know it. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until the darkness comes. Look at your family, your friendships, your workplace. How about looking at the involvement in your own church? How are you fighting for the house? Who are you investing in? Whose life are you making a better place for spiritual growth? Here's a question. Who are you serving? Who are you helping? How are you helping your church stay on mission? How are you using your gifts for the kingdom of God? You know, now would be a great time for some of you to stick around and go to growth track. What are my gifts? How do I fight for the house? Growth track, get there. It's just an initial easy step. Consider being in a connect group, join a dream team. It's imperative that we evaluate our own lives. As important as character is for, you, for your leader, it's as important to God for your personal life. Show me the fruit is what we need to say to ourselves before you stand before God and he says, show me the fruit. What character is the Holy Spirit forging in you in this season? If someone close to you were to describe your positive character traits, what would they be? Remember, I would encourage you this week, ask somebody who really knows you, what's, what's a strong, awesome character trait that I bring to the table? You should all know that. You should be encouraged by that. But go one step farther, be a little bit bolder and say, okay, now give me some fearless feedback. What is my greatest character flaw? Spouses, be ready. Be humble. If you can't get worked on now, imagine how embarrassing and shameful it will be when you stand before your God. See, Jude's passionate because he doesn't want you to be categorized as ungodly. He wants you to be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm a man of God, I'm a woman of God. Not because you're perfect, not because you've got your, all your act together. No, that's, no, because you're letting the grace of God do something in you. And there's fruit. There's fruit. Evaluate. Evaluate your life. You know, a real simple takeaway when you're talking about evaluating your own life is to really be honest with yourself. Are you honestly under authority? Are you coming every weekend and let, giving your pastor permission? You know, you can come here and sit here and not really give your pastor permission to speak to you. 
Why? Because for some of us, it's checking a box. But could it be that the pastor prays and he seeks God and the Holy Spirit really wants to, to engineer something deep in your soul so you don't leave here the way you came? That only happens when you choose to say, I'm under authority. I'm going to listen to my pastor, my shepherd. Not afraid to investigate him. I'm going to look, make sure the word of God is saying what he says it's saying. It's good to do that. But we need to be under authority. Your pastor needs that permission. Your pastors, your spiritual leaders need that permission. But I think you need to grow that circle of proximity. You need to have some other people that you respect who are godly. And you need to verbally tell them, you have permission to speak into my life. Because we all need it. We all need it. I know some of you, you've, you've been abused. You've been bullied by leaders. You've, you've, leaders have misused authority. I get all that. But that's why it's okay to investigate. And that's why you've got to believe that it's okay also to evaluate your own life and say, show me the fruit. It's not just a good, a good posture for your leaders. It's, it's a great posture for your own life. Amen? Come on, self, show me the fruit. I don't want to wait till judgment day to figure out I did nothing for the kingdom. I wrote down here in my notes, better some misery today being honest than someday standing before God in his judgment. having lived in denial. This is not an easy passage to talk about. But I love Jude's passion for the local church because it's made up of you. And I want God's best for you. I want you looking in the mirror and you knowing I'm a godly man, I'm a godly woman. Not begin because of all, you know, your, your past is past. You know, I love that boxing metaphor and analogy. I even like that video. Do you know you can get knocked down in a boxing match? But unless they've counted to 10, you can still get up. Do you know when it comes to boxing, you can lose a round and still win the fight? And you hear me, you, you, you Christ follower, you man or woman of God, you hear me. That final bell has not rung. Ding, ding. You still are in the fight. And as a church, we're fighting for the house because we're fighting for you. So let's investigate our leaders. Let's not be intimidated by that. And let's not just believe what we see. Let's get a bite out of people's lives. Let's know there's character there. There's fruit. But I think most importantly right now, Let's evaluate our own lives. Lord, show me the fruit. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.